Um, if you have a Bible, you might want to start turning or flicking, whatever, however you do it, um, uh, to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 1, verses 35 to 51, but I'll be projecting it up on the screen. So good morning, everyone. As, as Simon said, my name's Raj. I'm one of the elders here. Um, uh, welcome. If you're a visitor here, uh, you're extremely welcome uh, this morning. Come again. Keep coming. Make this place your home. We'd love to see that. More and more people. As Simon and Gavin uh, shared and preached so brilliantly over the last couple of, uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, we are in our new sermon series. We're looking at the... Uh, it's going to be running right through to Easter. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of John. Who is he? Who is this Jesus? I don't know if some of you uh, remember... Uh, probably you won't, and if you're good Christians, you probably really won't. But um, if you remember the, uh, the 1988 film, The Last Temptation of Christ, uh, I remember watching, uh, no, I don't remember, I remember watching, I was going to say, I remember watching that as not a Christian. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, uh, the Last Temptation of Christ, when it came out, was a big film directed by a famous guy, Michael Scorsese. Lots of big characters, William Defoe, Ivy Cartel, David, even da- the late David Bowie. And if you remember it, you'll certainly, if you, if you remember it, you'll certainly remember all the uproar and the controversy and the shouting that uh, came amongst Christians as it depicted, as it kind of depicted this kind of unusual life of Jesus Christ, really constant, uh, concentrating on this inner struggle, this turmoil, um, um, uh, as he kind of battled with all forms of temptation, including fear and doubt and depression and reluctance and lust even. I mean, it was a, it was a bizarre film. In fact, it was so far away from the real gospel accounts, that's why we're looking at John, the real gospel accounts, uh, of Jesus' life. They actually, actually, the filmmakers put on a little disclaimer, you know, the small print. And it said this, this film, it said, is not based on the Gospels. Then what is it based on then? Anyhow, this film is not based on the Gospels, but upon the fictional exploration of humanity's eternal spiritual conflict. Mumbo-jumbo. What does that mean? I'll say that again. This film is not based on the gospel. It's based on the fictional exploration of humanity's external spiritual conflict. That's very interesting. Oh, I think it's very interesting. I'll explain why I think it's interesting in a minute if you're not very interested at all by it. I'll tell you why. One columnist wrote something very poignant at the time about this film. It said, this film, hear this, this film is a me, me, me generation portrait of a saviour you can relate to. That's probably why it did so well, you know. You see, this film, it resonated with an it's all about me generation. I'm part of that generation. This columnist said... um, Uh, said up until about 50 years ago, the main question in every human life was different to what it is today. It was something like before, will I have what it takes to do right and good? Will I be able to sacrifice my personal gains for the joys, uh, for the joys, for the honor of my country maybe, for the well-being of my family or or my people? 
Will I be able to live for truth and justice over my personal gains? That's what this nation remembered, didn't we? Uh, last week, was it last week? Last Sunday, as thousands of men, women, kids even, did just that in two big wars. Will I be willing to die for these things? Will I be willing to suffer for these things? Because that's real courage. That's integrity. And that's what it meant to be fully human. And what this columnist went on to say is how that has radically, radically changed in the culture we're part of. For us today, for the, for the first time in history, actually, a lot of people say this who chart history, the challenge to be human is utterly different now. Culture has shifted. We're now the me, me generation, as this guy writes. The challenge to be human these days is if you read the papers or look at the bookshelves or go to a counsellor, um, um, means to find what your real feelings are, to find what your desires are, and to go and fulfill them. Go. That's why many people related to this kind of frothy version of Jesus in this film. Real courage, this generation says, is primarily to be yourself. Don't let anyone get in the way of your goals. You are more important than any other expectations. Expectations of the church, expectations of society, expectations of family or of anybody. So go ahead, live the dream, fulfill yourself, live for number one. And the reason why I've started with this is because actually this passage that we're going to read out of John is about discipleship. And this culture shift which grips all of us, did you hear that? All of us, even if we don't realize it, deeply affects our understanding of what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus. A biblical understanding of discipleship. You see, the word disciple is the same word as discipline, or it comes from the same word. And discipline actually means to submit to, to sacrifice, to give way to our present desires for the sake of future, higher, nobler goals, goods, causes. A Christian disciple is somebody who has said all other pursuits are secondary than to serve and to learn of and to know Jesus Christ, the lover of my soul, the one who has captivated my heart. That's the motivation. In fact, Jesus puts it very, very bluntly when he says, he who seeks to find himself will lose himself. He who loses himself for the sake, for my sake, will find himself. Totally different. That's discipleship right there. Let every heart, let every tongue sing of your name, sing of your name. We've been singing it, haven't we? That's discipleship right there. And we get a glimpse of that this morning, fascinatingly, in this passage. So let's read it together, shall we? John chapter 1, 35 to 51. John disciples follow Jesus. We're talking about John the Baptist. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, turning round. Jesus 
uh, saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, uh, was one of the two, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to, Je- he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, which translated as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, said Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, shocked, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these amazing encounters. Thank you, Lord. As Jesus encountered these twelve, he was He was setting down the footprints, the foundations of the church. I thank you, Lord, that we, this church, is rooted into that encounter. And I pray, Lord God, by your Spirit, you continue to grow and grow the church. That you continue to grow and grow your disciples who follow you. That as we celebrate on the 25th, as churches across Teesside, not just Middlesbrough, across Teesside, I thank, I pray, Lord, that you will empower and equip the church of Teesside to hold strong and fast to your word and be a powerful kingdom advancing people across this place. We ask that in Jesus' name. So, being a disciple, we'll hurry, hurry through this. Three things. First, first thing, being a disciple means come and see. This is fascinating. Notice there are two come and sees here. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, The first is in verse 39 from the lips of Jesus. See what it says? The next day John the Baptist was there again with the disciples and he looks at Jesus and he says, There is the Lamb of God. Look at him. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus and Jesus said, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, they saw who he was. They wanted, to, they wanted this teacher to be their teacher. And he said, they were starting to get interested. And he said, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent a day with him. See what happens here. This is an interesting encounter. The disciples are probably a bit nervous. 
John the Baptist is obviously very excited. He's told the disciple this amazing person about this amazing person. So they go and check him out, and Jesus says, What do you want? And I guess the reality is they wanted to know whether John the Baptist was speaking the truth, whether this guy was the real deal or not. And so Jesus at this point says, How dare you come round here checking me out? I'm God. This is, this is religion. You've got to take your brains out and blindly follow me. I want your obedience straight away. Don't you come round here saying, Who am I? Just sign here, please. Is that what he says? He says, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, come and watch me. Come and get to know me. Come and see how I live. Come and see how I speak. Come and see what I do. In other words, he says, belong first. Be part of my life. Be part of my world. Let's build a relational bridge. I want to know you. Do you? want to know me. Do you want to know Jesus? Do you really want to know Jesus? That's totally different from any other faith views if you really think about it. It's radical that what Jesus is saying. Especially in his time, also in ours. The second come and see is later on when Philip comes to see Nathaniel and Nathaniel says, I've found the Messiah. Uh, um, and actually, Philip says, I've come, comes to Nathaniel and said, I've found the Messiah. This was a big claim to Jewish people. It wasn't a dumb question that Nathaniel later asks. The Messiah was what they lived for. The Messiah was their hope and joy they prayed for. And so Nathaniel, on hearing this, is obviously very skeptical. His question is actually very valid. Everybody at that time knew the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, that he would come from, the, uh, it would be a descendant of King David. But this guy, Nathaniel thinks, uh, Nathaniel thinks Jesus is from Galilee. He's from Nazareth, Joseph, Joseph that, that carpenter's son. How could he be the Messiah? That's a great question for a man living in AD 27. And so Philip says to Nathaniel, Again, doesn't he? How dare you ask that question? How dare you speak of the Messiah like that? Stop it! He doesn't, does he? He says, let's explore. He says, come and see. Let's go and find out who this Jesus is. And again, very different from many other faith views. Now, you know what? Our questions might be different. They won't be the same as Nathaniel's. They're probably not the same kind of questions. We live in a different culture. Each generation and culture and life experience has its own set of questions. We must speak into those questions. Our questions might be different. They might be things like, how can a loving God allow so much suffering? I was just talking about that the other day. Um, I think with a uh, a guy called uh, David... I didn't just make that up. With a guy called David at Alpha. How can God allow suffering? Robin, my brother, killed himself after years of depression. Mom died of breast cancer at the age of 50. Why, God? It's my question. How can, how can, the, how can God speak of hell? Now that my dad died a few years ago, as, non, as a non-believer, despite my best efforts to share my faith with him, where will he spend his eternity? 
Is that fair? It's a question. Why is there so much injustice? Why are there so many Christians? Why are so many Christians hypocritical in how they behave and how they act, me included? What about science and religion and how do I get through my science homework with my children? Preaching Jesus, but having integrity. Oh, surely you don't believe there's just one God. One way. Come on. What about my Sikh friend Tony, who's Gudwara, does great work for the poor, their soup kitchen and the needy. Or my dad's temple, who were brilliant with him in his final years of life. What about what they believe? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. These are big questions, aren't they? Real questions. These are good questions for non-believers and believers, you and me, to ask. God wants us to grapple with these questions. He says, come and see. He says, come. Be with me. Stay with me. Questions like that are all throughout the Bible. Faith and doubt live closely together. They're not enemies. The atheist Sam Harris, I love this quote, um, has had different views, have different views about the Christian faith or any religion, actually. He writes, we have names for people who have many beliefs for which there, are no, there is no rational justification. When their beliefs are extremely common, we call them relig- religious. Otherwise, they are likely to be called mad, psychotic, or delusional. That's the world we live in. That's what the culture says. An article in one of the papers said this, Christians are poor, uneducated, and easily led. Talking about you. I me. But you know what? I don't buy that. I don't buy any of that. I've been thinking about this and asking those questions for 20 years now. The facts don't tell me that. Over the last 200 years, people have been proclaiming that faith in Jesus will eventually thin out and then die and fizzle off somewhere as the world moves into a more scientific and technically advanced age. But hey, bingo, we're here. That's, not just ha- that's just not happening. Faith in Jesus across the world is growing. If you're, if you're not a Christian here this morning, think about this. Faith in, Jesus, faith in Jesus in Africa and Asia and Latin America is not just growing, but exploding. This world-transforming faith is not happening because people are suddenly getting dumber and thicker and blinder. It's actually quite the opposite. This is happening because people are talking through reasoning, encountering the risen God who is alive right now. He is. Come and see. And do you know what? This passage tells us something else, which again is a symptom of a me generation. Coming and seeing isn't just a private affair. And just... You see, these encounters that are panning out here in this passage, what really, as I read them, what really struck me is how it's happening in the context of friendship and family and community and discussion, isn't it? It's happening between John the Baptist, Andrew, um, Simon, his brother, Philip, John, Nathaniel. Generally, generally, this is a generalization, if you're, a, if you're an isolated, on-the-edge, spectator, private Christian, you're not going to, this is what it's saying, you're not going to be able to grapple with these truths 
with integrity. The main way you'll see the Bible, uh, see in the Bible over and again that you really find Jesus is through friends. It's through not isolating yourself. It's through community group. It's through serving on teams. It's through, um, um, it's through having friends around, through getting your kids involved, through prayer gatherings, come to the prayer meeting, through life together. It's great to be on Alpha yesterday. It was just a real buzz, a real boom. Hands up. Yes, I want to trust this Jesus. I prayed with a 70-something-year-old man who's lived most of his life not really knowing much about Jesus. He knew a little bit about him. But giving his life to Jesus yesterday. You know what? I, I, I think I posted it somewhere. It was one of the biggest privileges. And it had just happened yesterday of my life so far. You know what? Despite me getting excited about it, I know that there are people in this room that are not convinced enough about community to make that change still. Why? Because you're a me generation people. We just are in that culture. It's invisible to you. Jesus says, come and see together. Think together. Be prepared to ask me the difficult questions together. Through life experience, through hurdles, discipleship jubilee is a long-haul journey. Together, I loved what Kyrian shared as she shared a little bit about what they've been going through and their heart and how God can whew, turn things around. Jesus says, come and see. Secondly, Jesus says, follow me. Jesus says, follow me. I know this is obvious, but to follow someone means to move from here to here. It's going from one place to another place. Being a, a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus means change. It means moving. It means transformation. When John the Baptist was calling uh, his disciples to look at the Lamb of, uh, Lamb of God, he was calling them to believe that the Messiah was here. That God himself had come in the person of Jesus to show who he was. To live the life that we were born to live. To remove the scars and condemnation and grime that our lives were full of. And actually separate us from God. That's what Jesus, that's what he was saying about this Jesus. Like Amber and Gemma and Ashin and Deborah going down into the water uh, the other week. Dying to all that holds them back and rising again to a new Holy Spirit-empowered life, real life, born again, to follow Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sin of the world. That's what, that's what was going on then. It was a reality. Cleansed, forgiven. Philip already believed all of that. Philip had been around and watched Jesus for a bit. He understood, but it was only until now, at this point that we've just read, that he moves from believing, understanding, knowing all that stuff which we all know, to following. Follow me. Let me give you an example. When I first met Charlotte at James Cook Hospital, as you're going to cringe now, some 20 years ago, I realized that there was something about her that was different. 
I would talk to her. I would get to know her, to know more about her. I would see the many unique things about her, how she was so compassionate with patients and staff and her friends, how she smiled, how she, was consci- how, how she was conscientious, how she told her friends that she thought I was a plonker. Not a good start. I was getting to know more and more about her. Five years on, though, something changed. We got married. We didn't live together before that. So when I woke up the next morning, I realized something had changed. I couldn't just get up and have my usual breakfast pot noodle that morning. I couldn't just tittle off to work without telling her where I was. I couldn't just buy a new car and say, hey, look what I've got. Things had changed. Now this relationship had moved from just knowing about her to a life-shaping, life-changing life-directing friendship. The other thing I noticed was suddenly lots of things, on lots of things we had different opinions. What food to eat, what furniture to buy, how we spend money, what friendship looked like, our music taste, what we wanted to watch on TV. Often we sometimes had little bust-ups over this kind of stuff. But slowly, Slowly, through our confrontations, through our differences, through our conflicts, I changed gradually, bit by bit. I was slowly moving from here to there. Let me ask you a question. If that happens through just a human relationship, how much more should we expect that happening from a relationship with God, with Jesus? Because Christianity discipleship is primarily just that. Rabbi, I want to follow you. That's what they're saying. In Jesus, we have a new center of gravity, not floating aimlessly like you see Tim Peaks in in his mission, whatever they call it, that thing that's in space. What's it called? Space Center. (laughs) You know, with water going everywhere and he turns a screw. We talked about this on Alpha. He turns a screw and he turns around instead of the screw. You know, not floating aimlessly, being pulled in all directions. We are the bride of Christ. What a relationship. Jesus' life and teaching and transformative spirit challenges us. It pulls us. It changes us. It confronts you as life takes a new direction. No going back. The line's been drawn. And the key issue moving forward is not going to be what we do, but why we do it. That came out in our worship this morning, didn't it? Or more specifically, who we do it for. It will be about how on fire we are for God. How important is He to us? How overwhelmed, how intoxicated are we by the preciousness of Jesus Christ? Because it's those kind of burning hearts, hearts for God, as Andy shared some, how long ago, some months ago, uh, as he spoke that burning hearts prophecy over us. That met, it's, it's hearts like that that will make a difference in this church, in communities, amongst the poor, amongst the marginalized, seeing the miraculous, watching the prophetic promises unfold, encouraging our young people to thrive in God, going to the nations and more and more and more and more. 
lives brimming with a passion for Jesus is key, is primary to all those other things that pull us here, there, and everywhere. Jubilee, that's the kind of faith and worship that God rewards. And do you know what? This is about all of us. No spectators, please, from now on. The line has been drawn. Ephesians 2.10, For we, all of us, are God's workmanship, works of art, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared all of us in advance for us to do. We walk forward in that truth. Let me ask you a personal question. A personal question. How's your love life? How's your intimacy, your closeness and communion with God? How is it? And just another thing about this, because I feel in my spirit it's important, moving on from this line is not going to be easy. It's going to be even tougher. There'll be warfare. I think as Kyrian said, there will be attack. There will be more casualties. It will take guts, Jubilee. It will take courage and sweat and toil and hardship and maybe suffering as we move forward. It will. Arthur Wallace um, writes this. He says, As a man turns his face towards Christ, burning hearts, he hits a mountain of opposition. As he presses through, he is often tempted to throw it all in. Prayer is often such hard going. All temptations return with a new lease of life. What does it all mean? It's simply discovering what the Bible everywhere teaches. That the call of Christ is a call to arms. The Christian life means warfare. How does Jesus get our attention? How does Jesus put it? He says this, Luke 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, not a real hate, this is a relative hate. This is what Jews used to do in their writing. Yeah, he's not calling you to hate your mother and father and blah, blah, blah. It's a relative hate. It'll look like hate. Your love for Jesus will look like hate compared to your love for Jesus. Such a person cannot be a disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross, a tool of gruesome execution, and follow me, cannot be my disciple. Has he got your attention? He's got mine. He's got theirs. Following Christ is about dying. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you believe this is a time of breakthrough? It might be, but it, it, it's so, it, it is so key that we look to ourselves, look together, and move forward. It's a time of internal grappling with the things that hold us back. It might be sinful addictions. It might be a lukewarm faith. It might be cultural and situational strongholds. It might be fear or even laziness. It might be attitudes and distrust. It might be unforgiveness. I don't know. But God knows and so do you. Jubilee, Jesus is asking us this morning for you to follow me. What needs to die? What is it? As painful as it might, as unfair as it might seem, as difficult as it will feel, Jesus calls us to a life of cross-carrying, nothing less. Identifying with him, putting to death the things that are not of him. What is it? 
We've crossed the line now. Being a disciple means come and see together. Being a disciple means follow me, a life of courageous battle. Finally, quickly. Being a disciple means living under an open heaven. That's how this ends, doesn't it? See the encounter with Nathaniel. He sees Nathaniel. He says things that Nathaniel knows only Jesus could have known if he was a God. Yeah, he sees him under the, he sees him says, uh, do something under the tree. We don't know what it is. But then Jesus says to him, very truly, if you think, if you think I'm God now, but very truly you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. That's an amazing referral to something that happened years back. When Nathaniel meets Jesus, deliberate, Jesus is deliberately turning his worldview around. We don't instantly get this. He's refraining, he's reframing all of his Old Testament scriptures, which is what this is referring to, pointing to a coming Messiah, saying, yes, you're right, but no, you're wrong. What do I mean? He's saying, yes, the Messiah will come and defeat your greatest enemies, but those enemies are not what you think they are. They're not the Roman Empire, Nathaniel. They're your pride and self-righteousness and sin and condemnation, even death. He's saying, you're right. He will come, this Messiah, as king, but he'll not, be be he'll not come with a bejeweled crown, but a crown of thorns. He's saying, yes, this Messiah will rule, but not with a whip and harshness, but with love and humility that washes his followers' feet. He is saying the ladder that Jacob saw centuries before, bridging heaven and earth, way back in Genesis 8. He's saying, remember that. But now, remember that. That was just a vision. But, a re but I am the reality now. This is centering on me. I am that ladder, ladder bridging heaven and earth. That's phenomenal. Jesus is him. Tom Wright says, Heaven and earth, it seems, are not, after all, poles apart needing to be separated, nor are there different ways of looking at the same thing. No, they are different, radically different, but they are made for each other in and through Jesus. God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom jubilee. We know that. Expect the unexpected, Jesus says. If the band can come up, that would be great. Be open to God directing and invading your life in the most unusual and startling and thrilling ways. Live with an eternal perspective, an eternal spirit that helps us sail through the storms and seas of discipleship. Heal the sick, pray for breakthrough, cast out oppressive influence, live for Christ, be set free by His grace. This is what He's calling us to. Enjoy His love and compassion. That's what living under an open heaven means. Who is He? Who is this one that sets us free? That's what's important. Jubilee, you will see heaven and you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That is a truth. It's for real. Let's, as Kirin said, grasp that truth. Let's see it happen more and more. Let's not be spectators and sit back. Are you up for that? Are you up for that? I'm going to end with this. For God so loved the world 
so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, a new center of gravity, will not perish but have eternal life. Hebrews 12.2, the message version, says this, Keep your eyes on Jesus, our beautiful groom, who, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Come and see. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could not put up. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. Look, Jubilee, when you find yourself flagging in your faith, go, go over that story again and again, item by item. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Let's stand. Yeah, Lord, I thank you for the truth. I thank you that you call us to come and see. I thank you that you call us to follow me. I thank you that you call us to live in the reality of Jesus being the interface, the bridge between heaven and earth. We see in part, not fully, but we yearn, yearn more and more to see that come to us more and more in every setting that we live in. And I pray, Lord God, that when we leave here to this morning, I pray, Lord God, that the ministry of your words isn't just something that affects our skulls, but affects our hearts. I pray, Lord God, that the, when you speak through your word, you don't just give us information, you speak life, you speak being. And I pray, Lord God, across this room, speak life in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song. It's slightly unusual.